0: Yo, 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 coming at you live. Nailed it. This episode is sponsored by Front End Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. Their upcoming course is JavaScript to Node, which covers some advanced JavaScript topics and real time web development with Node.js. You can also get recordings of their previous courses like JavaScript the Good Parts, AngularJS, CSS3 in depth, and responsive web design. Get it all at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 105 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Tim Caswell. Hello. AJ O'Neill.
1: Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live from the dinosaur bones of Vernal, Utah.
0: Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and we have a special guest this week, Chris Williams.
2: Hey, everyone. I I don't know if I can really classify as special. How about the, how about just guest?
0: Okay. You want to tell us about yourself really quick?
2: Sure. So, um, I do a lot of different things. The main one that most people know me about is JSConf. It's a little conference that could, as it were, started as an organic, crazy idea of mine to have a conference that treated JavaScript like a real language and has grown over the years. It was the platform that PhoneGap and Accelerator came into the scene, um, Node.js came onto the scene by way of JSConf, and a whole bunch of other JavaScript projects have taken root because of the event. Um, we do things a lot differently than most other conferences, and that's intentional for the most part. We're trying to push boundaries to trying to do different models. And simultaneously, we also try to encourage other people to create their own events and their own voice and take that and give them as much knowledge and as much capability and as much effort and support as we possibly can to allow them to go forward and do that, hopefully creating enough voices and enough conference that everybody can find something that fits them.
0: You left one thing off. The JS logo? You sell out wicked fast.
2: I sell out wicked fast, not like the, the punk rock hate you sell out type thing. Uh, well, maybe, you know, people have their opinions, but yeah, we do sell out very fast. Uh, it's, uh, something that we've actually tried. We've put a lot of time and effort every year into figuring out ways that we can not have that problem. And yeah, as people in business side say, that's a pro, that's a great problem to have. People who don't get tickets say it's the worst problem in the world. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Apple figured it out, right? You hold a lottery and then nobody gets to go, he
3: said bitterly.
2: <laughs> I, I think some people did get to go. They were just best friends.
3: Chris, I have a question for you. Yeah. What do you do? Like in my head, you're just this kind of traveling minstrel of JavaScript. You just fly all over the place and start up cool conferences. But oh. is that your is that your full-time job?
2: No, not at all, actually. Um I it's like my fifth job, to be honest with you. So I, uh, do Node.js consulting, trying to help businesses get their strategy together with Node.js. And, uh, because I've, I've built out a couple companies at this point doing Node.js programming, including, uh, my most recent one, which was a real time senior safety monitoring system. Think about, uh, the 1990s. i fall and and I can't get up, but brought into the modern era with Wi-Fi based sensors, motion, contact push buttons, stuff of that nature, to allow people to live longer in their homes. And because of that, I have a bit of domain experience and expertise about Node that I try to share with companies and and help them with their strategy for it. That's sort of the prime time, let's call it, full-time job. Um, I'm also a fantastic logistics and delivery boy for my wife's floral design studio. Um, She does wedding flowers, so I'm very good at knowing a ranunculus from a tulip from a rose which is an odd trait to have as a developer. And then um, the conferences are sort of the back seat out of all of those. That is really interesting because they're not... You know, at all overlapping. Yeah, they're not at all over... Well...
3: They're
2: honestly, competitive but, most times.
3: But also, I mean, do people who you deliver flowers to ask for your autograph because you started JSConf? And then... <laughs> you
2: know so that's only happened once. Um, and it wasn't delivering flowers. We were just out at dinner. And randomly, like, uh, somebody just walked over and goes, you're Chris Williams of JSConf. And I'm like, this is weird. And Laura's like, you're so nerd famous, it's disgusting. And I was like, I'm not nerd famous, though. Nobody really knows who I am. The other thing I do that's not really a job, but sort of a thing, is NodeBots and trying to bring people to robotics that are software developers. Yeah. Um, so it's like I'm involved in all these different things and slightly known in some of them, as it were. So, cool. you also uh,
3: started Robots Comp last sure. year, right? I think that was the first, I've never been to a JSConf, but RobotsConf was the first of the JSConf family of conferences I've been to, and it was really great.
2: Thanks. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the first year we did it. It's funny to do it versus other sorts of things, so... My wife and I, she helps out with the conferences as well, much like I help out with the floral design and delivery. So we have this whole fleet of conferences that we've done. I actually have a wall that I'm looking at right now that has, she's cut out all of the pictures, or or not pictures, but the uh, shirts, and mounted them on the wall. And we've done everything from NoSQL conferences to Python conferences to JavaScript conferences, obviously. And then one of the things that we've noticed over the years, and Partly, it's my skewed view of the world from being the author of Node Serial Port. But a lot of people are fearful and fretful and and just disastrously afraid of hardware. Um, software developers will tell you that a 9-volt battery will cause them to erupt in flames. And um couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, it's a lot of fun to lick them. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but do it. It's awesome. And uh, because right. of this... And Remy Sharp, who who you probably know, uh, big in the JavaScript domain, we gave him an Arduino, and he was happy as could be. He was so worried he was going to burn out the LEDs. He was going to overcharge the LEDs. And I'm like, they're like less than a penny. They're like the thing you don't have to worry about blowing up. Blow up seven of them. Who cares? And it wasn't until I heard myself say that that I realized we need to create a comfortable, safe environment for software developers to become... Or at least have the affordance and opportunity to become hardware developers. And so we started things like NodeBots and NodeCopter. And this year at JSConf, we're doing Node Rockets and Node Boats. Because, you know, what's better than geeks in a pool with electricity? But programmatic <laughs> electricity in a pool with geeks. So that sort of evolved to this thing called RobotsConf, which we do a, a pop-up makerspace. And have 10 soldering irons laid out and two laser cutters and more 3D printers than you can, than you'd ever want in a room. And then we let people just go and build and we give them a survey of the world and then we have domain experts nearby. And the neat thing about RobotsConf is it's one of the few hard, challenging go build stuff that doesn't cater to a single language. We had people there that were Ruby developers and Python developers and JavaScript developers and .NET developers. And that, to me, is the happy spot when we can all put down our swords and sabers and shields and say, it's not about language. It's about changing the world. It's about doing things. It's about making life better. And that sort of, for me, resonates in something that I want to try to keep going forward. So
0: what, in your opinion, really makes a successful conference? I mean, it seems like, the robots conf is, uh, much less heavy organization and more just, okay, here's how you do this kind of stuff. Now go build. Whereas, uh, JS conf seems a little bit more structured.
2: It's funny that you said that because it's, from the organization side, it almost feels the inverse of that. So the definition of success of a conference, uh, there's two different ways of looking at that. There's the organizer's view, which most organizers of conferences, they view it as a success um, under, I'd say, about three different metrics. And for each organizer, one of the three or multiple of the three. Uh, might apply to their independent individual definition of success for the event. The one that's obvious is making a profit or at least not going negative. So that's a metric, that's an obvious metric. The second one is whether the community was appreciative or happy with the event. And then the third one is whether or not things from the event went forward and did and built on top of the things that were presented. And for me personally, I view it as a success on number two and number three. Number one is just a safety guard. I don't want to lose money because it's no matter what anyone thinks that hasn't run a conference, it's very hard to balance the budget to make sure that you don't go in the hole. It's almost impossible to uh, do anything but wrong. So, that sort of thing for me is just a safety guard, but the other two are my personal definitions of success for the event. And then from the attendee, I try to envision an attendee as their definition of success being I got more out of this event than I put into in terms of a ticket cost or time away from family. Um, and in part, a lot of our decisions with JSConf are directed by that. We, we encourage people to bring families or significant others and make them a part of the event, have them be sort of the – a part of the community that's present for the event. For Robotsconf, it's actually much easier definition or or manner for success and organization-wise, but not. It's a different sort of thing, like managing the thousands of cats of making sure that you have enough servos for everyone to build with and the different parts for everyone to build with, making sure that it, you're not falling deep, deep into the hole of debt is the the worry or the worry point for that doing a conference where people could cut their thumbs off is always another concern, um, <laughs> which robots.conf, uh, you know, that was a legit concern. I had to explain to our venue in sort of an anecdotal, funny story. We're doing the pre-conference for Robots conf, and they're like, so Chris, what are you throwing at us this time? I said, so we're going to have 10 soldering irons. They get out to about 750 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, they're dripping metal onto other pieces. So, can you show me where the fire extinguishers are? And can we have a couple extra put in the room? And they're like, you know what? Uh, sure. We'll, we'll go find, we'll go buy you more fire extinguishers. And then they're like, anything else? And I was like, we have laser cutters, so we have to vent the fumes so that way we don't kill anybody. And they're like, okay, this is yet another unique request. And so it's been kind of fun. I think I primed them for almost everything, which is why rockets and boats is going to be so interesting to see if they, if they <laughs> really say anything about it. The team that's running Node Rockets, they're getting the videos together and all for it. Uh, we're going to be shooting devices up into the air between 500 and 700 feet in the air. And so they come down with some pretty good G-forces. So it'll be a good time, had by all.
3: I want to ask a little bit about, it seems like it's almost a chicken and egg problem when you're creating a new conference, at least. So JSConf, by now, it's an established name that lots of people want to go to and lots of people want to speak at. Um, How do you create that from scratch when you don't have – how do you make people excited to come to something brand new and and excited to speak at something brand new?
2: Mind if I take that apart a little bit? Sure. So the perception from attendees and from ticket buyers is that – bear in mind that conference organizers have a different perception – So before diving into the how to do it, Laura and I, my wife and I always fear that this year's JSConf is going to be the year that nobody buys a ticket at all. Zero people will buy a ticket. It's not until you open up the first ticket sales that you have any indication about that. And... You build this event based off of last year and last year may not be similar to this year. So there's always that worry. And I work with a lot of mentoring, a lot of other conferences and I try to let them, you know, teach them to hedge bets. So if you went last year, set your contracts at the same amount that you set them for last year, uh venue space is always going to let you go up, but they'll never let you go back down. And so there's a huge amount of upfront debt in conferences a good case in point and speaking from experience for JSConf this year we had to lay down like two hundred and twenty thousand dollars contractually agreed to and paid as a deposit upfront with a guarantee of delivering something like four hundred thousand dollars of uh just strict like food and beverage and room night commits. Actually the with the room nights it, it just spirals up in terms of uh total amount because it's two thousand some odd room nights that we have to commit to, and if we don't fill those up, that goes onto our shoulders. So, I have that fear every single time we do an event, and that that sort of worry. So, I wanted to preface the next part with that information. To create an event, especially like the first JSConf, it's a balance, a dance, as it were, and it was funny doing robots.conf, because you'd assume somebody who's done events like JSConf wouldn't have problems, but Every new conference is a new conference. They all suffer from that first year problem, and that first year problem is is that you want to make an amazing event to create and establish a name, but in order to make an amazing event, you have to have people show up. People don't want to show up because they don't know about the event or they are skeptical about the event. So I've almost I've always pitched this idea of doing a faux first event where you just set up a website one year, you plan to do it the next year, uh, and you put up random pictures of people just having a blast, and you (laughs) encourage or incite some people to make comments like, oh my god, it was so great last year. There was no last year. That's one way of doing it. That's sort of fraudulent and tricky, but uh, I've always...
3: The secret's out though now. I'm fascinated with
2: that idea. I I think that would be great. So the way that So ha- every
3: event you start is the second annual whatever. <laughs>
2: right. This is the second <laughs> annual developer conference that you've not heard of before. So all I can give you is anecdotal evidence from myself mm-hmm. and from the groups that I've mentored. The first JSConf is probably the best anecdotal evidence for this. When we booked it, when I when I had the crazy idea, so I was out with my friend and we were looking at each other and I was like, Hey, we should go to a JavaScript conference and he was like yeah and he is Ken Henderson he eventually became my uh, our AV master uh, for the conference and so we looked around on the internet and couldn't find any JavaScript conferences and uh, let's just say we weren't in a proper state of mind and we decided we're gonna make <laughs> our own and we didn't back out of it which was probably a bad thing long term but uh, I kept pushing forward with it and made a website and got it all. I found a venue. I was ready to go. I started reaching out to speakers, which then you're building up a base of cost that goes along with this. And then uh, put it out on Hacker News and everyone hated it. And that's a dumb idea. And this is stupid. So you start doubting it. But no, 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 I'm going forward. And we were like uh, about 45 to 60 days out from the conference had sold. It was, I think it was closer to the 45 mark hadn't sold but like three tickets at all and we were driving my wife and I were driving down to Arlington to the venue uh, to sign the final agreement with the venue and when you sign that you're basically committing to them that you will you will provide them one way or the other some amount of revenue commitment and when you do that that's like uh, oh goodness here goes my life savings if no one buys a ticket and uh, with three tickets on the line we had sort of said you know what Let's, uh, let's not do this. We were driving down the highway. Um, before we got in the car, we had fought a lot and said, you know, we're not doing this. Uh, this is a dumb idea. I need to get us out of this. I'm going to mess up the family. And so before we get in the car, I, to save face, being completely transparent and honest, it was more to save face that, hey, look, I, I made a mistake. Uh, we'll mark it as sold out instead of marking it as failed conference event A. Market is sold out, got in the car, drove. It's like a 45-minute drive. In the distance from our house to the venue, uh, the conference was actually had a waiting list deep enough to sell out the actual event. I learned a valuable principle about human nature that most salespeople know already, but most developers, myself included, had no idea. Nobody wants to go to a dance if nobody else is going to the dance. So you have a a bootstrapping problem of until somebody says that they're going to be there or more importantly, until it seems like they can't get to the dance because everybody's there. And I mentioned dance because it's very much like a high school mentality, like prom. It's the sort of, you know, fear like, oh, I don't want to be the only person who's there or, oh, I don't want to go because the cool kids aren't there. Whatever mentality it is, it's present in basic human nature. So by flipping it to sold out, everyone thought that they couldn't get a ticket. So they wanted a ticket. Naturally, which is the most painful thing, I believe, in starting a conference. I deal with this when I'm helping mentor new events. We dealt with it with robots.conf. We dealt with it with the first JSConf. It's a common problem of how do you start that energy. And so for groups that I mentor, depending upon their time schedules, I'll recommend that they mark themselves as, as sold out. There is no benefit to necessarily leaving the tickets open unless you're over the what I'll call financial hump. If you're over the financial hump, you can just let things run It's course and that hump being where your expected income matched with the scale of the event should equal at least zero, ideally a dollar or two, if not more. I don't care so much about more. I care that anybody who takes that risk, takes that leap to start a community event, that they don't end up with a bag of just horrible amount of debt because they tried to do something for the community. Python, with the PSF actually, has something similar, but um, because they're a foundation, they accept funds and then they can divvy those funds out. All I have, because I'm just, just me, is time and mentorship. So I provide that out to everybody. And uh, if I had money, I would try to wash the debt away for any group that takes the risk and uh, does it. Because for me, it's a community event. The community should support it. Unfortunately, in JavaScript land, we're not that organized as a community. But we should, I mean, there's always, I think it's like every three months, there's a new call for a foundation, whether it be a Node foundation or a JavaScript foundation or or some foundation. And there's pluses and minuses. But I would just like to see people who take a risk not necessarily be stuck with all that risk at the end if nobody shows up type thing. Does that answer your question or did I ramble completely off-tangent?
3: No, that gives a lot of interesting things to think about. But you'd but, say the main point is you need to create an impression that people are already going. Is that a, that's a, a good, good
2: statement? TLDR? Yeah, that. Yep. TLDR is uh, make it appear, whether it's truthful or not, that a lot of people are going. That helps get people to go, human nature. The other one, uh, if I may throw out another piece, is to ensure that your message uh, your reason for coming is well articulated this is a, a thing we learned with Jsconf is as we've gone further down the path and we rely more on you know word of mouth about the event in the first couple of years articulation of what this event is and why somebody should pay for a ticket is vital if you can craft that in I think it's under eight words you have something that sticks in their brain we learned that again with robotsconf where it's this crazy concept. We're going to bring software developers. So it sounds like it should have a huge market, right? We're now catering to all software developers. But because it's all, nobody thinks it's me. And that forces them to sort of reevaluate, like, is it me that should go or is it someone else? I'm unsure. And so it wasn't until we got to the final message point that we got to that we, we understood that this was the problem. And the final message we got to was, arrive a developer, leave a maker. And that message just resonated. And once we nailed that message, things went a lot smoother for that event. And it's that that short, almost sales pitchy, almost elevator pitch that if you were building a startup, you'd need anyways. But for a conference, having that nailed is one of the fundamental core pieces. So those would be the two that I'd give as main tips. That's really interesting. So I have a question.
4: I've always wanted to do a local conference, but I am just terrified of the time commitment. How small could you make it or how much time outside of the money would it be to, to, to do a conference? Like I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like, how could that even work out?
2: So there's easy ways to balance that costs. I've done Capital JS, which was a Washington DC focused attempt to reduce the cost. We just recently finished up. JSFest, uh Michael did out in San Francisco, which was approaching free. So in terms of you know making it accessible in terms of cost, it's very easy to do, but you have to be very strict and regimental on your budget. That also applies for the other side where you make the event cost a lot and you spend it back into them, you have to watch the budget. I am very regimental about spreadsheets and tracking every last little income and expense and with the income what the percentage take from the ticket vendor or the percentage take from the credit card processor are and so getting a realistic e- estimate and budget of it is vital to both of those scenarios specifically to yours it realistically just takes passion and I'd recommend getting a mentor if it's the first time doing it and the mentor thing any JSConf organizer around the world is always willing and able barring external forces, childbirth or work or stuff of that nature to help out with those sorts of things as best as they can. So, and that includes all of our regional events too. Like it's sort of an ethos that we've tried to give out is, and I actually learned this. And so I started it in the beginning, uh, learned this at seed conference, which was in Chicago. I want to say like, oh8 2008, maybe 2007. Jason freed, uh, 37 Signals was on stage and he was talking about how what you want to do is not be the greatest chef in the world. Because um, a great chef can only create events of his own hands or or her own hands. They become bound to the creations that they make. And for that reason, they have no lasting long term benefit. Be Betty Crocker. Make cookbooks and give them away. Give give the knowledge set away to people and you can build an empire. Um, now, this was more in like how to build a massive business. And part of that for me took root of I don't want to be the only conference organizer. I want to be the person who helped a hundred other people make conferences in their own voice. And so that ethos has permeated through. So I would definitely say direct to your question, find somebody who's done it before and ask them for help. They should be willing to help you. If they aren't, come talk to me. And in terms of setting up the the regional, Tim, you're a big enough name. You should be able to pull a good amount of audience just if you want to stand up there and do a comedy routine. I do not suggest doing a comedy routine. (laughs) Let's just say I've been there. That doesn't work out well. But, you know, you can stand up there and just talk for a bit uh, and then get that first year under the belt and then make a decision about whether or not that's something to continue with.
4: So, the biggest thing I've done is a lot of meetups in Silicon Valley. Like, when I first moved to Palo Alto from East Texas, I was at the Cinch office. I'm like, hey, let's do a Node meetup. This was summer 2010. Node was brand new. And 50 people showed up, including Doug Crockford. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. But I was at the right place, and it was a hot topic. So, I think, I think that's why it was so easy.
2: I mean, that, that's a huge benefit. I wouldn't rest my laurels on don't know if I use that statement correctly, but we're gonna go with it. Yeah, that that's hard, but it's also easy to do. So like, JavaScript's hot right now. It's easy to start up a JavaScript event, uh, assuming that you are in that domain. For me personally, I I like to push the edges and push the boundaries of that. So most of my anecdotal experience comes from that exact thing of pushing the boundaries. If you're bringing it to an area, one, uh, we do have a great community. Uh, that's very supportive. So I'd say go with it if you're down for it, go with it. But reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out to people. You don't have to do it all yourself. I think there's a, a line from Frozen in there that I want to start singing right now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you please can auto-tune it if your voice isn't that great.
2: Please don't slam the door. <laughs> right. <laughs> no one. Next no line. one else. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. it. just. Oh, I know it. I can't mean, sing anymore.
0: <laughs> so I have a question. That's. Uh, kind of related to some of the stuff you talked about. Uh, Specifically with the venue, I mean, you do it on uh, Amelia Island. It's kind of at a resort. Some other conferences I've been to, they've been at, like, little conference venues or, you know, the conference here is at the Salt Lake City Library. I'm really curious as to what the difference you think there is between doing something at, like, a large venue versus doing something at at a smaller venue.
2: Okay. That question has a lot of parts to it. The main thing for me in the way that a conference is done is, generally speaking, the curator or the curation team's idea. If you want to just create a conference, that's easy enough to do. If you want to create something that has its own idea or its own ethos, that's a different realm. I'll target the second one. So we started out at a small venue, 135 people, the space could hold, and um, we repeated it there for the next year. And so we started out very small, and then the next year after that, we got that, hey, let's make a big bug. And we've purposely kept JSConf constrained, which is why it sells out. It sells out now because we don't want to create a 1,000-person JavaScript conference. We don't want to create a 2,000-person JavaScript conference because there's too much complexities uh, that prevent me from creating the sort of feeling and atmosphere that I want. We do things differently than most conferences, like I said. So we do round tables in our lecture space where every other large conference in the world does reception style or or theater style seating. For those of you that don't know the, the lingo, so it's like round tables and you have 10 people around a table and then there's another round table, much like you would have at a wedding. And theater or classroom is what you'd see at a standard lecture or a meetup If you sit down where it's just rows of chairs, we did this in the beginning because we couldn't afford to have the eating space separate from the conference space. So it was an accidental thing. I call it emergent design in hindsight, but uh, in the beginning, it wasn't as articulated and crafted as I lead on for it to believe. Now, what ends up happening is much like with a wedding. You're forced to communicate with people because there's an awkward silence, especially in between speakers, where you're looking at somebody and you're just like, okay, I should talk to this person. And that really affords people to converse with one another. That creates a small event feel because then you get to know those 10 people really well versus a like a, a reception or, or theater seating, which you're almost discouraged at all times to talk from anyone. The person to your left, you don't have to look at them. You can look straight ahead. The person's right, same thing. The person in front of you, you're just looking at the back of their head anyway, so it doesn't matter. And the person behind you is looking at the back of yours. So there's no real encouragement to actually make that first awkward stab at, hey, my name is. And I'd say there's a, a more you know, metaphysical discussion about that. Like, here is a big event, and where big event means that you are a, you feel like a number. And here's a small event where everything about the event makes you feel like you're at a small, intimate event. And that may be despite or disconnected to the actual number of attendees. So we've always tried to keep or retain that focus on creating intimate experiences historically. And we have this odd graph and timeline through history, which would be sort of a, uh, a thing that I would love to discuss. Some point, uh, that, you know, JSConf, when it started, focused on a certain form of intimate gatherings. And that being lectures, amazing lectures during the day with the round seating, the track B that allows anyone to get up and speak, uh, curated hallway conf. And then in the evening, we, we had a big party and everyone could just let loose and, you know, let their guard down a bit and have a good time. That's a way of doing it. And a lot of conferences have uh that, that we've helped mentor are still doing that, and that's great. There's nothing negative against that model. Um, but what we've realized at some point, and this is going to the the comment about Amelia Island, is that caters to a segment of the audience, um, the broader audience, the broader community. We wanted to help create something new with our last event that we're continuing forward with. That keeps that intimate focus, but also affords a broader, more inclusive segment of the audience. Um, And I say that being fully open and honest, that events where there's high party value to low other value, or where there's high party value, not in a distinguisher against other values segments, those can be off-putting to people who don't or cannot or should not imbibe in beverages, whether... It's an explicit negative against them, which rarely happens. But there's always the implicit of I can't enjoy this like other people are or I chose or or do not want to enjoy this of that nature. And so we wanted to create something that, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. And so what we did is we shifted the entire event around family. And this had a lot to do with our own situation. We were having my now one year old. Right about this, uh, actually, at the beginning of March, and so you know, with a very much pregnant wife and you're already having a two-year-old running around the house causing trouble, we kind of had decided that we were going to kill JSConf or at least take a sabbatical off, and we go down to Amelia Island for Christmas every year, the, the Christmas time, and uh, my wife's parents have a condo there, and so we're just sitting at the beach, and we're like, you know what? Nobody's taken this and made it like a family resort vacation thing. People make fun of or poke at conferences because they're a geek vacation. Okay, I can see that. But what if we actually made it a true geek family vacation? What if we gave people the chance to build a lasting community outside of... You're know, taking it even a step further. Um, we always encouraged SOs to come... But there wasn't a great chance to really get to know that, that whole SO and kids and family unless you were on the SO track. So why don't we bring everyone together and switch out parties, quote unquote parties for family style dinners, big family style dinners where everyone can gather and everyone can meet each other. So SOs or significant others, they can join in and be there and be, and you get to learn the whole knowledge set and the whole experience of the other person because let's be honest most of us aren't islands we're not isolated individuals in the world walking in in just by ourselves we are the product of our experiences of our relationships of our friends of our family and it'd be great to have an event where that was a core component and so for the for last year we did that and we also added a new thing that because we are making it a bigger event, we wanted a way to retain that intimacy. In a lecture space, you don't have to be feeling small. There's no real way, aside from the tables and just by physical nature of being small, to get around bigness in a lecture space. What you can do and what we did was we added a choose-your-own-adventure day where you get broken up into small groups of basically no bigger than 10 to 20 for your large tours, and and you get to go with a group of people who have similar interests and go do stuff. So we offer kayak tours and segue tours and building robots all day and flying copters and the boats and rockets I spoke about before, going golfing, hanging out on the beach, going to the pool. And we encourage you to get to know one of each other versus forcing you to follow a stream. And it realistically has turned out very nicely. I have to admit, being fully honest about it, Last year was the first year I felt satisfied and fulfilled by JSConf, which is an odd thing to say as the organizer, but it had every element that I want in an event and felt to me perfectly correct. And that said, I still thought of ways that we could make it better, but it had that feeling that at the end felt cathartic and complete. And so we took that and made robots.conf and Robots.com felt even more so that. So I've got a feeling I'm on the right path with this. And hopefully by doing these events it helps create new events that will go further on from there.
0: That is so cool. It really just it like hits like everything that uh I I feel like I miss when I go to the traditional conferences.
2: It's funny that you say that because I looked at the feedback. There was a certain point where a certain bit of feedback came out and a lot of my fellow conference organizers took that feedback as negative and fought against it. I took it as negative and internalized it and had a lot of sort of dark moments about it. But at some point, if you can take feedback, whether it's negative or positive, and discern or distill out what the person is trying to say, stripping away the sort of sentiment out of it, but keeping the core components, you can change or at least adapt to that feedback and sometimes make the event or make the make the everything, um, whether you're doing software products or you're doing hardware products or you're doing events or anything. If you can listen to and tune into your feedback, it actually becomes a great vehicle to make change and make things better. It's just figuring out how to discern what the core issue is and then listening, being willing to listen and adapt to it. So I, I, the feedback that you just gave, I hear that a lot from people who come to JSConf they're, they, they're from last year. A lot of people don't go to conferences because they feel like it's just parties all the time and lackluster talks. I didn't go to conferences that much before because I hated the fact that every single talk on the stage I could watch on YouTube for free. So what am I here for? And that's why this jumps track. But JSConf, we pick speakers based off of people who haven't been... Uh, heard who haven't had stage time and so because of that one we're always at the forefront of of the next thing hopefully we also have some that don't work out that's perfectly fine that's sort of the nature and i do that because i don't want to go to a conference where i'm hearing douglas crockford get up and give the same speech that he's given every single time he's been up on stage he just revved ie6 must die to ie7 must die and that's the only slight change and so I'm not a huge fan of that. There's a huge market for that. I'm. It's just a. I try to fix things that, for me, seem to be the things that would cause me not to go to an event.
4: I've had this idea for a while. I don't remember what I had it about a woodsy conference, and I was wondering if we could just discuss it briefly here to like. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I I chuckle because uh, Charles had mentioned Ruby D camp of all events. So describe to me woodsy event.
4: So the goal is to be family-oriented, but also be very nature-oriented and be in Arkansas. That is one of the explicit goals. Okay. Which brings a whole slew of logistics issues, mm-hmm. particularly travel. Like, yep. there's Dallas, that's six-hour drive from where I want to be. And there's Little Rock, which isn't terribly hard to get to. Yep. So the the idea was, I want the conference in the Washita's or Ozark's somewhere very remote. And there's some nice venues out there that probably don't cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking for the conference we could start in Little Rock and have a bus with Wi-Fi that we do stuff on the bus while we're doing the like four-hour drive, whatever it is. And then when we get there, there's materials to set up camp and set up infrastructure, and we can do our own internal networking. And then basically it's just a workshop of how to build your own self-sustainable network, learning how the internet works, learning how software has very few boundaries, and we just have fun in the woods being geeks and then we tear down, clean up the whole place, and drive back. I'm terrified of the logistics.
2: A completely legit concern. You have uh, NodeConf. Like, you've been to NodeConf, so that's at Walker right. Creek Ranch. The logistics on that are would be less crazy than the logistics you're describing. One for the distance. Uh, it's not as far away from San Francisco or at least a, an international airport as Little Rock Ozarks are. So you'll have that. That'll be a huge thing. Something to, or a piece to take note out of that was the distance in a bus begets a whole bunch of, um, let's just say unsightly vomiting problems because of like car sickness, the which was put on by Paul Campbell and Amon Leonard. Their first one was on a bus and there were problems with the bus transport. And it's just a thing, a logistics thing that in the woods, nature thing, Ruby Decamp, Evan Light, he runs that. Um, him and I sort of came up with the idea originally, and I sort of pushed him uh, to go further than just a camp like an Unconf to actually be a camp like in the woods. And he has it in, I think it's Manassas, or Prince William County Park. And so it's very similar in nature to your, you you pitch a tent, you have to do all the infrastructure pieces, and it's a good thing, but it can be very stressful In the moment, it's beautiful, but the logistics leading up to it can be problematic. You'll also have to worry about things that most other conferences won't, like snake bites, you know, splintered bones, people getting poison ivy, toilet paper. Right. I mean, these are these are some. I mean, sometimes that is actually eased by the fact that people can go find a piece of the forest and do business. But some, it's a logistical thing that you'd have to cater to and make sure that you uh, accommodate. Uh, Right. It's. It's an, it's a good idea. It would require you being very diligent on doing it. And I, I say that because I had a similar but different idea. I wanted to move JSConf back to my alma mater, Virginia Tech, and hold it down in Blacksburg. But the closest airport to Blacksburg, Virginia, is five hours away. And so they'd have oh. to be bussed down, and it's Mountain Road. So it's a long, long mountain bus ride down 81, which has a lot of trucks, a lot of wind shear, all this stuff. But I was like, no, no, let's, let's do that. Get everyone down there. They have a, they have the internet to drop down there because it's, it's, it's a technical school. Uh, it's a beautiful mountainscape. We'll go yes, hiking. It is. We'll go backpacking. We'll go whitewater rafting. That's a great idea. Let's go whitewater rafting down the Gully River. And then you go and you ask your insurance company, because you have to, as a business, have insurance for these sorts of things. Uh, how much insurance would I need to take, let's say, 300 or 400 geeks into the woods? And they're going to go, you can't pay us enough to do that. And so you may you may be able to work with one to get like a 10 to $20 million insurance policy, which is the bare minimum that as a conference organizer, I would say you should look at for that sort of thing. Because while it would be great to think that everyone who shows up would never sue somebody for like tripping and falling down the mountain, you can't, especially in your situation, Tim, where you have kids, you don't want to put their existence on the line because of your conference. So you need to have that insurance basis on it. So I would contend that your hardest thing out of the entire thing is getting the business insurance to protect you if something, God forbid, ever happens. Right. And that's something most people do not account for because they're like, what, what? I don't need business insurance for this. Let's go to the woods. So what if it's small?
4: What if it's tiny? Like it's 12, 20, 50 people.
2: You still One, you still need the insurance. And then you just need to scope it appropriately for that. Okay. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying I've thought of it, but I haven't done it for better or for worse.
0: I've had similar ideas sans camping, I guess. Southern Utah has some really beautiful areas, and, uh, you know, I I thought it might be fun to do something like that around uh, Zion's National Park or Arches National Park, where there's a town reasonably close to it, but it's still, you know, four, five, six hours from Salt Lake City's airport, and probably the same from Las Vegas. So you would still have the bus ride at the beginning, unless people wanted to rent a car and go down themselves. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure out what the logistics would look like for something like that because it still has that transportation problem.
2: Yeah, we've talked about doing a JSConf in uh just to throw out ideas. Uh let's see, we, we thought about doing one in Tennessee, but you run into a similar sort of problem. Um Tennessee has beautiful uh you know, the the what what are the forests down there called? In I'm the a lakes. huge no, Everglades is down in Florida. Oh. Tennessee has uh, like a burnt mountains or something like that. I don't know what the name is off the top of my head, but it's the same thing. Uh, the the transportation becomes the bottleneck. With Amelia, it's also a bottleneck unless you can afford like a private jet to land on the small little airport that's there. But uh we did buses back and forth, and luckily it's only like a 45-minute turn. That is one length of the turn. So to get from an airport to... Plantation is about 45 minutes. And so it's not arduous, but it's still a significantly long ride. And you'd probably have to wrap that into the pricing, either just to amortize the cost uh, over everybody so that way it's one thing that they don't have to think about. Mm -hmm. Because developers, despite being very smart people, do not consider logistics. Not really a normal thing. We get this sometimes we're like, how do I get from the airport to the hotel? Well, you should since you're coming in like three weeks beforehand, you should rent a car. Uh, well, why isn't it provided? Because it just isn't. How are we going to know that you were coming in three weeks ahead? And so it, you'd have to, I'd make the contention that you'd have to solve that. So an example of one that I know that worked was FunConf 2, which was held at Lismore Castle, which is, I think, two to three hours south of Dublin. And everyone flew into Dublin. And they weren't told where they were going. And so everyone queued up for a breakfast together. And you had to be there for the breakfast. And it was a wonderful breakfast. It was one of the best breakfasts I've had in my life. And then it was a surprise that you went on a bus. And then were taken from the bus down to the castle. They also did that with FunConf 3, the final, uh, where it was a bus onto a train, onto helicopters. So in terms of logistics, it's doable. It's as crazy as you want it to be doable, but it's you just have to be prepared to take on those logistics.
3: I want to totally change directions, wildly different directions. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about some of the financial parts of it, because I feel like there's lots of information out there about how to, not lots, but it's, it's easier to find information on how to create a feeling than on how to pay for stuff and how much things cost. And what you pay for, and, and things like that. So you already mentioned the fact that you dropped like two hundred thousand dollars on a deposit for the hotel, mm-hmm. and and that was an order of magnitude more money than I thought was even the whole budget for the conference. <laughs> and then food. <laughs> yeah. So so can you can you kind of lay out as much? I mean, I know some of it might be private or whatever, but as much as you can, can you kind of lay out how much things cost and what you pay for, and and yeah, absolutely, and the, the the financial um, side of of the conference.
2: So. Part of this discussion is, uh, there, you see groups doing transparency reports of now, and I love those. I wish I could do them, but due to items in my contracts with venues in the United States, they can explicitly request you by way of contract to not expose data. Um, and because they do that, because if, if I'm hosting an event at event or venue space A, and you hosted one there and I can go back and reference that. Then I can, I have a leg up on negotiation that I can say, well, you gave that person that amount. Uh, I demand that as well. And a tip with this as well, just because I'm on that, uh, everything in event space is negotiable. Unless you're in a union controlled state, said differently, I I don't know what the inverse of right to work state is, but a state where unions are, are allowed. And no knock on unions, not saying anything bad about unions. I'm not saying anything about it. I'm just making a statement that there are states that have it and don't. The states that don't have it, it's much easier to negotiate the pricing. And the, we do a couple different strategies for that. So uh, let me, for the strategies for that till later, let me give you some insight into the cost structures. For an event the size of JSConf, you're looking at, approaching a million dollars in expense that comes out of speaker rooms it was, so for us we have 22 speakers uh, roughly and we only cover speaker rooms and travel for our speakers and we do that just as a, a plea or thank you very much for coming to the event we let you stay at the event the whole time and so because of that we have we have to pay for four nights in the hotel and so the hotel, I mean, that, that number is public, so I can give that number. That's $220.80 with tax and resort fee included in it. So we, you multiply that by, you know, 12 or 22 by the four nights and you're at 88 some odd nights. And that can easily jump up to, you know, 30,000 just right there. On top of that, you have travel, which, generally speaking, you're skewed towards international versus domestic, and how early or late they book the travel uh, is deterministic on how much that's going to cost. So for us, we generally are between twelve to twenty thousand, just just on getting speakers to the actual event. And in my mind, that's not what I call a, a lost cost. I love paying for my speakers. I have grievances with some of the recent discussion about it, and it's odd grievances. Uh, we can going to ask later. about that. Uh, do you want to ask a question? Or oh, no, not a specific to... one. We okay. Can, we can, we can talk to. about it later, and hopefully you'll forget about it. Um, <laughs> so, you know... That's a cost. And just getting the speakers and the trainers and all that that we have at our event, what you might call the stage presence on the event, that takes up about 7% of our budget. And the food is realistically where the mainstay of it is. And now bear in mind with the recent model on JSConf, the food, when I say that it is inclusive of the evening dinners that we provide full meals and we provide full meals for, uh, vegans and special preparation, those sorts of things. They do some, they cost more. Uh, but most conferences just roll that into the total cost. Uh, also every beverage costs money. Every gallon of coffee count costs money. Um, I think we went through like 400 gallons of coffee for the event. And so, you know, food and beverage for something like JSConf. I got to give you a estimated roundy number will hit something to the effect of over half a million dollars. So percentage wise, about 70% of our income goes directly to food and beverage. And that's a tremendous amount. And this is not uncommon for events. Almost all of the cost in a conference is the food costs, um, because what they do with the venue is they'll give you the room for free, but you're paying for that food cost on top and uh, over the top of the actual raw material cost. So that just gets rolled up into there, and that also includes the staff and everything else. It's funny, this year we offered a significant other meal ticket for families that wanted to eat with the attendee at the conference, and we had some people complain about the cost, and I, I have to break it down for them, like, I hate to tell you this, but every single meal any meal breakfast lunch dinner is ridiculous in terms of cost for at a venue so just to give you an estimated number on that it's about $75 per person to eat lunch at a venue and what? that's bear in mind that is giving a nice meal i sort of pride myself on providing great food at a conference so it's not sandwiches no box lunches? No box lunches. I'm not a fan of box lunches. Nothing against it, but not a fan of it for my personal events. So when they get upset, I'm like, look, I'd love to give it to you cheaper. I really would trust me because then I would be getting my meals cheaper and I could lower the total cost of the conference down. We offer it as an opportunity, but the venue comes at us if, you know, they see people eating off the menu that aren't there and then they, we get that as a tail end cost. So we, we had to make the price that it is as it is just to give like a, a context for it. So what I hear you saying is... Don't uh, run conferences. Well,
3: <laughs> don't run expensive conferences, right? JS conference is totally an experience, and we've spent a lot of time talking about it. It seems like that's about the most difficult way you could possibly put on a conference.
2: I contend it's the opposite, actually. Not necessarily in disagreement. I would make the contention that the ends of the spectrum are your hardest to do. The I'm trying to create a highly accessible, low cost event is sometimes harder than creating a high cost event. Now, when you say when I say high cost, bear in mind the cost of like a a, a large production event, like an O'Reilly event, is 2x that of a JSConf. Oh, sure. Um, Not a knock, but it's it's like we view the world of community events almost in complete disconnect and disregard to the other realm of events that are out there. So I say that because if I run a low cost, I set that cost structure up front. TXJS is a great example of this. They wanted to create a regional low cost event. They set their price thinking that they had all the budget enumerated. Unless you know exactly everything up front, the low cost aspect of it it forces you to be very diligent on every last thing. So if you forget that, if you forget gratuity in there, you're in trouble versus a potentially higher cost event where you can not really rob Peter to pay Paul type thing. But uh, what we do is we don't book an event until it's sponsored and thus has the money to cover it or it's, external and have at any moment the ability to cut it. And so we provide the base level as part of the ticket price and then other indulgences or affordances, Segway kayak stuff of that nature are covered by the sponsors. So every last little bit of the conference is covered in some sort of a risk assessment way. Um, I'm very much avoider of risk, but a very much taker of educated and calculated risk. So, TXJS lost their, I wouldn't say lost their shirt on the first year, but definitely did not uh, make it such that it was worth the time and effort to do it because they were a lower cost event. And lower cost does not equate to lower quality. Uh, it's a very high quality event. So the next year they made it a little bit higher with a bit of my encouragement. And so it's easier if you have that fluidity to do it. Also, the other thing to take uh, account of in that is that the higher cost event, you generally cut out a group of people that may not have an understanding of the production involvement in the event. And I say that because our lower, our, our like regional events or small events, um, you see this with meetups or, or like pizza events where people just pay $10. In their mind, they think that $10 covers everything. Couldn't be further from the truth, but they believe that because they put in $10 that they're entitled to the world and a half. And so you see a lot of anger and, and why wasn't this done? And and uh, why did I get a box sandwich? Well, you got a box sandwich because it was a $10 event. And what's nice, quote unquote nice with JSConf is that... The price sort of sets the expectation that you're going to be taken care of, and we don't get a lot of people who uh, want even more that is well beyond our ability to provide them. That is some fascinating insight. Oh, said differently, there's a lot of people who get stuff for free that complain about it. Uh, there's <laughs> less amount of people who have to put some skin into the game that complain about it. They're uh, sure. Because they have an investment, be it financial or time, um, they're more inclined to have to or, or internally want to like it more versus focus on the negatives.
3: Sure. That's kind of a, a thing from products in general too. Like free users are generally your highest support cost too. Yep. So it's interesting you you see the same reflection in conferences.
0: Can I yep. can I ask another question? Because you mentioned you kinda of set your base ticket price to cover the base cost of the conference and then you get sponsors to cover other stuff. What's the best way to go about organizing things for sponsors and how do you set things up so that they're giving you enough money to cover that stuff
2: that's a great question so sponsors so i have a budget spreadsheet and i have that as a template i'd be more that's going to be my pick at the end is my own budget spreadsheet i was going to ask
0: if you could share it but
2: uh, yes, you. I can share it. It actually is great to give out because it helps people realize and it's got rough estimated costs and I give it to everyone who I mentor. And I'm like, just just stick to the spreadsheet. This gives you the baseline costs as things go up or they go down, you can see how things are. And so with that, I attach sponsorships to stuff that will provide an immediate identification by an attendee that, wow, this is awesome. And because of that, they get the ROI or return on investment of the sponsorship. Now I fight with new sponsors because their expectation is I'm going to give you money. I'm never going to see that. I'm going to have to send a booth. I'm going to have to send four people and uh, they're going to have to fight. And ideally the only thing I really get out of it is maybe a couple leads from the people. Probably not, but I'll definitely get an expense report from them and I'll probably get a roster of the people who attended the event. Most sponsors go into events thinking they're going to get a list at the end with, with email addresses and data about every user or every attendee. We explicitly do not do that ever and we explicitly keep that separate. We make sure that our sponsors do not send people that aren't technical people. While it's great for recruiting, we encourage them to send technical people who can speak to the other technical people there, make a friendship, and by way of that friendship, create a recruiting aspect opportunity. So, said differently, you know, if, if we all hung out, and talk and we love having a conversation with each other. And I'm looking to hire somebody and I've already met you and I'm basically vetted you and you're a good person. Hey, why don't you come work with us? We do some really cool stuff. And as part of that, I was talking about how great the company is and, you know, sharing my experiences and it encourages you to come work. It works a thousand times better than sending a recruiter doesn't know any tech, speaks about the company only and gives a real standoffish almost feel to it and doesn't build a friendship first and a recruiting opportunity second. That's the one of the return on investments. And then like for everything else we do, one of the parties or dinners is associated and given credit to an event or a, a sponsor. And those are our highest sponsorship levels. And we do that based off of previous year's work and also the budget that we use as a template. And we build from there, to get the estimated cost. Once we have the estimated cost, we average it across, let's in this case, say three for our top sponsors. And that sets roughly the price point for the sponsorship. Um, it may be higher, it may be lower. We leave a little bit of a slush buffer every year to handle those sorts of things. And that's uh, something that we always set. And that handles the, oh my goodness, we did not expect to have to buy 70 foot by 30 foot tents because it's going to be the middle of hurricane season or anything like that. So you know we we leave that space capable and we set that based off of the number of sponsors based off of the number of events. And so with JSConf we have tiers. We have uh, uh, platinum, which is the dinners and those sorts of things. Gold, which is basically the Thursday events, which give great one on one time and great brand identity and great brand exposure. And then a silver level, which are interesting encoutrements to the overall event, whether it be like a coffee sponsorship with the espresso bar or other things that sort of liken to a company's presence or or their own company ethos. They they can then bring in and make accordance. And it really helps them shine as who they are or maybe are one to be perceived.
3: Yeah, there's so much good stuff in there. I was writing in chat that <laughs> every three second sentences, I, I type wow in big letters. <laughs> but I don't want to just interject randomly while you're talking. Oh, go ahead. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Wow. Tim, what were you going to say?
4: So I've been to a lot of conferences. I average about 10 a year. I've been trying to cut it back and looking at last year's budget, I was surprised that JS conf was the most expensive domestic conference. The only ones that cost more is where I had to buy international tickets for me and my family, but it surprised me because I didn't, it didn't feel expensive. The experience I had there, I felt like that was one of the better deals. So Chris, you're doing something right.
2: Well thanks, that's actually, so if I may go from that, one of the the thing that I always focus on when I have my budget up, and if you look at it, you'll see there's a value per person mark, and what that is, is you, you take the total cost, you take the total people, and then you come out from that number, the amount of money spent per person. And if that number is significantly higher than the cost of the ticket, it should feel that way. Um, because in, in essence, you're dumping all the money rate right back to the person. Uh, and I, it can be higher because you also have to account for sponsorship income, which is a much higher rate. We've always done an event where that number is higher. And as part of a personal thing, I'm going to continue that trend. And that is, has had the derivative effect for better for worse of having that feeling where you know if you look at it it might it, it may cost you a lot but the value that you're getting for it is significantly worthwhile so thank you thank you tim i appreciate that that's it's very rare to get compliments about com uh conferences it's funny um it's partly a personality thing. Uh, you focus on the negative because you want to improve. You want that person to be happy. You're bummed that they were let down or whatever, whatever the issue is. It's a thing I've wrestled with many, many times is getting, focusing on the negative feedback and missing the positive. But, uh, you know, There's a lot of people who may have never run an event that come out and try to tell you exactly how that event should have been run or what you did wrong, and they don't know the context or the story that or the backlog that happened with that. And so it's very awesome and uh, very appreciated, not just by me, but I'd say by any conference organizer, to hear things like that. Uh, so thank you, Tim. Definitely appreciate that.
0: No problem. I hate to wind this down, but we've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes so I'm going to start heading that way unless there's something obvious we've missed.
4: I think we're good. Those were the main topics I wanted to cover. This was, this has been really good.
1: Yeah, this was amazing.
0: Yeah. Like, I, th- I think I got a lot of my questions answered too.
2: And somebody and I, wanted a speaker question. I don't know if you want answer to that. That's the only one that, that I know that i heard that I deferred. And if I'm lucky, I'll defer it. And even further, I'll, I'll let you decide whether you want to take the bullet or not.
0: Paying speakers. Uh, wasn't it that what it, what it was about?
2: Similar to that. Um, here's here's the way I'll phrase it. I'll make it short, sweet, and to the point. If a conference is providing for a speaker, that speaker should, I'd say, understand that the exchange rate on that is that they should be assisting in the conference. And while giving a great speech is the sort of de facto stance of, well, I'm going to give the best speech ever, Sometimes it's worthwhile being honest with yourself and saying, you know what, I might not actually be the greatest speaker in the world. And I might want to assist in, let's say, things like the promotion of the event or, let's say, some of the productional aspects of the event. I personally love speakers and will think the world of the speaker for speakers who, especially on newer events, they go out of their way to help promote the event. It costs Basically, nothing to say, Oh my God, I'm speaking at blah, 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 and I'm so stoked for it. And very few speakers do that. It's almost just passe, like, Yeah, I've got to go to this thing and do that thing. And that, to me, as an organizer, makes me less inclined to do anything more for a speaker than just give them a microphone and say, Here, here's your opportunity to mess things up. And, you know, I'd make the contention for better or for worse that most developers are not very articulate. Uh, we don't get to go to public speaking classes. Most of us don't take the time and opportunity to go out and better that skill. And because of that, and because we're not professional speakers, I wouldn't, I personally, as a speaker, would not trust, uh, rest on my laurels of the speaking. Most events that I speak at, uh, which is very rare, but the, th- the ones I do, I always help with ticket registration. Sometimes I do the whole AV stack. Sometimes I help lay out chairs and clean up afterwards, going around picking up trash. Making sure that everyone knows about the event. I wish more people would do that. So if I if I can make a plea to anyone listening, please, if you're invited to speak somewhere, please, please, please help out the organizer in whatever fashion you can. Cool. That was interesting and and positive. I thought you were going to
3: trash on somebody from how reluctant you were to talk about it, but it makes just a lot of
2: sense. Touchy subject. Like sure, it, sound, it can be it can be easily sound like a uh, organizer complaining about the speakers. It shouldn't, I'd hope not, in part because being staff at a conference is possibly the greatest greatest experience in the world. But it's something that I'm always hesitant to talk about because people have a way of not necessarily understanding context and run with it type thing.
3: Sure, that makes sense. You're trying to guard against the drive by quotes to end up on some gossipy TMZ website.
2: Could be. <laughs> that's it that's a way of putting it. Um it's also there is an argument to be made. Like I sit in an odd space. A lot of the speaker comments are directed to mass events that charge for the videos of the speaker after the after, you know, once they're done, and do not cover speaker travel and accommodations. I don't agree with that world. The other side is they cover the speaker travel and sometimes the speakers don't deliver and so how do i as a a person sit between the two and say i agree with this part of here and not that part over there uh, without causing damage to the one side or and or the other simultaneously so for the most part i always stay quiet in that discussion because i don't want to be involved in in causing damage on either side by trying to do good for both sides well we'll keep this our little secret Okay, it's just only going out to the entire public, yeah. <laughs> That's right.
0: We, we we only have a few thousand listeners, so... Great. Well, we should probably have you come back on sometime and do another episode on uh, speaking at conferences, because it'd be interesting to have somebody who we all feel is a great uh, speaker, and then have somebody who is a conference organizer and kind of get both ends of the spectrum.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to. It was a great conversation. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Well, let's get into the picks. AJ...
1: Do you have some picks? One, there's this uh, this game that's an ASCII-based adventure game called Untrusted. And it's kind of like this Tron universe-type deal where you're a professor who gets trapped in the computer and um, you need to, to get out. But all the levels are coded in such a way that you can't win. Well, in the first level, you pick up a, a computer item and then another screen appears beside the ASCII adventure game that is some source code in a menu system. And so what you actually get to do is edit portions of the source code of that level in order to make it possible for you to complete the level. So it was the most engaging game I've played in, in quite some time. And, I mean, there's fun stuff from, there's just little puzzles that you solve from from things like rewriting a barrier so that it appears below you rather than above you which hopefully that's not too much of a giveaway, all the way to the final boss, which is actually fairly, well, maybe difficult. It it took me a little bit of thinking to figure out, but just different things. It was fun, and you don't have to do it the way that they want you to do it. You know, if you see a vulnerability in the code that you can exploit to make the thing what you need it to be, then you just do that, and you win that level. So it it was fun. And then the other thing I'll include is just a list for people that are doing user groups and conferences and that kind of thing. I have a screen recorder system that's a list of components you can buy off of Amazon that is significantly cheaper than the professional systems that are like thousands of dollars. We're talking this thing. I think you put it together for less than 500 bucks, and then you can do direct screen recording instead of just recording um, what's on the projector. You don't have to worry about the speaker, pre-installing software, or anything like that. I mean, it plugs in just like they plug into the projector and somebody's just got to hit the record button afterwards. So I'll include that link too.
3: Okay.
0: Jameson, what are your picks?
3: I have two picks. They're both talks from a recent conference that was uh, in downtown Salt Lake City a couple weeks ago, uh, Mountain West Jazz. And they're very different talks. One is called a GIF Odyssey, and it's this fantastical journey through a sort of useless but really interesting subject about how to do cool things with GIFs in the browser. Um, and the other one is uh, about browser package management, which is very utilitarian and kind of solid and useful information, but they're both incredibly well done, very different spectrums, but both worth watching. So those are up on conference today.
0: Awesome. It was. It was such a great conference. Yep. Tim, what are your picks?
4: First of all, I'm going to pick the Forge library, which is basically a JavaScript implementation of TLS. And if you've done any crypto, you know how crazy hard that is. And I'm using it heavily for a current client project I'm working on that needs a lot of RSA and signatures and encryption and all in pure JavaScript. And this library is saving me a ton of time. They seem to be the only JavaScript shop in the world that employs TLS experts who actually can just implement it for fun. So that library is awesome if you want to do any public key crypto in your JS libraries. The other one, I don't have a link, but just in light of politics and a lot of stuff that happens on the internet i would just remind everyone to be nice and remember that other people have different perspectives and different opinions and i'm always i'm always learning from the opinions of others and their perspectives and i hope that people value my perspective and yeah just we need to be nice and understanding of others you just brought the whole internet in for a big hug there we go Hug. Yeah,
0: very nice All right, I'll jump in with a couple of picks. I did this on Ruby Rogues. I'm going to do it on here, too. I do record other shows. It's funny. I talk to people, and they're like, we'll be talking about JavaScript Jabber, and then I'll mention one of the other shows, and they're like, you do more? So I'm I'm just going to share. Ruby Rogues is about Ruby programming and much more. It's kind of like this show where we talk about a lot of topics that are general programming topics, and we also talk about JavaScript topics. Ruby Rogues is the same thing for Ruby. iFreaks is the same thing for iOS programming. And then the Freelancer show is fairly focused on freelancing and running a small business. so if you're interested in any of those then go check them out and uh, they are at rubyrogues.com, ifreakshow.com and freelancershow.com And if you misspell them they will still take you to the right place. but we'll also have links in the show notes. Uh, Chris, what are your picks?
2: I, I pick anything that requires or that allows people to go out and do building of robots. I pick all the robots in the world. If you're in this, since this is JavaScript focused, Nodebots.io. It's uh, sort of the go-to curation space for Nodebot events, including Nodebots Day, which is coming up July 27th, 727. Go out and build stuff. Do do real-world stuff. Blow a couple LEDs. Pop a couple resistors. It's fun. It's worthwhile. Uh, I can tell you from all the experience that I have with robots comp, with going out and uh, U.S. STEM Foundation events, going out into high schools and teaching kids about quadcopters and 3D printers. That That is such an amazing and exciting realm. You will be completely fulfilled. It's a cathartic experience where you get to uh, actually enjoy doing stuff again and almost like a childlike giddiness in it. So um, while Radio Shack may be heading towards bankruptcy, go to your local Radio Shack or Adafruit.com or sparkfun.com, or palulu.com, whatever the one you love, and buy yourself a starter kit and just mess around with it. Uh, if you do JavaScript side stuff, go look at Johnny5. It makes robotics super easy. I know you guys had a show, I think, two shows ago with mm-hmm. Raquel. Go back and listen to that one and go build something. That's all I got.
0: Awesome. All right, well, thanks for coming, and thanks for sharing all of your... uh experience with us. Really, really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun to talk about.
2: Thank you very much. It was a wonderful time. Thanks.
0: All right. Well, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. And thank you for listening. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.